0: Matthew 8 My guess is that there will be no one here today for whom this is the first time you've ever heard these words. Do not let our familiarity with these words breed contempt. May they lead us To stand in awe of the Savior who can do these things. In Matthew 8, beginning with verse 1, the text tells us, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed Him. And a leper came to Him, And bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come. And heal him. I want to say more of the translation of that later. Verse 8. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table, notice those words are in italics, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother in law lying sick in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Matthew puts a lot of emphasis on Jesus' teaching. Nine of the 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew are devoted to his teaching, and we just finish with the longest sections like that, the Sermon on the Mount. But right after this, we have a heavy concentration of Jesus' miracles. Do you recognize that in Matthew 8 and 9, half of all the miracles recorded in the Gospel of Matthew are here? There is a link between the teaching of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, even if we have to think seriously in order to connect them. But let us see this Jesus who speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, who spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, and see the great things that He does. The text tells us, as He was coming down from the mountain, large crowds were following Him. Now, it's interesting that verse 1 mentions large crowds, and verse 2 mentions a them Because if there was any group of people that were ostracized in first century Jewish community, it would be a leper. They dwelt apart. They couldn't go to the tabernacle and later the temple. They had a covering over their mouth. If anyone came close, they cried, unclean, unclean. But you see a mention of the crowds in verse 1 and you see a mention of the leper in verse 2 as we stated, the leper put a covering over his mouth. He cried unclean, unclean. But here, this leper is approaching Jesus. He's bold he approaches him. And he has no doubt about what Jesus can do. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, You can make me clean. He doesn't question his power, but he knows that it must be according to his will. And the Bible tells us Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and says, I am willing. Be clean. He doesn't say God is willing. He says, I will be clean. The Jewish people regarded cleansing a leper, cleansing a leper, to be as difficult as raising the dead. Do you remember when Naaman the leper? sends to the king of Israel and writes a letter and says, here is Naaman. The, of, of the king of Aram writes a letter to the king of Israel and says, here is Naaman, my servant. Heal him of his leprosy. And, and the text tells us that um, the king of Israel tears his clothes. Am I God to kill and make alive that you send one to me to cleanse him of his leprosy? The point is, the Jewish mind considered this an illness impossible to heal. And Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him in this case. Jesus just touches him and heals him. And it's interesting that in the Old Testament that touching a leper made the person who touched the leper unclean, but instead Jesus' touch brings cleansing to the leper. Instead of uncleanness to himself. And he says, I want you to go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that are required in the wall. Now there's a couple of interesting things about this. I want you to understand that the role of priests in the Old Testament with leprosy was not to do anything to cleanse leprosy. They didn't do anything to make the disease go away. What they did is pronounce a person clean after the end of the period. By the way, the term leprosy in the Bible is more comprehensive. It is broader than how the term leprosy is often used today. Today, it refers to uh, some horrible illnesses uh, which cause one to lose all feeling uh, so that parts of their body can fall off with no no feeling at all. There are still a couple of leper colonies in the United States. It's not even completely eradicated here, but it's rare. But the biblical description is broader than this. It's broader than this. And it encompassed several things. But this man seems to have a very severe case according to Luke 5. And Jesus touched him and cleansed him. And said, go and show yourself to the priest. Even though he is touching this man with weapons. He is not disregarding the law. And he says, go and show yourself to the priest. And present the offerings as a testimony to them. A leper was an outcast. And we're about to read about another outcast. But in a different way. The man we're about to read of was probably pretty rich. We find that not so much from Matthew 8, but from Luke 7. Luke 7 records this same account, and the Bible tells us that the Jewish elder spoke of him and says, He loves our nation and He has built for us a synagogue. He was probably pretty wealthy. He had shown great concern for the Jewish people. But the Bible tells us this centurion, this Roman military man, man, came to Jesus with a request. Now, a centurion was over around 100 men, as you can see by the title. But he would have been a symbol of oppression. And he would have been a non-Jew And he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. Now, I told you we want to talk about verse 7. In verse 7, in the New American Standard Bible and in most of your English translations, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. read some things this weekend that made a pretty good case for the fact that should be translated as a question. You notice that there's not actually a request yet in verse 5 and 6. There is simply a statement. The centurion came to him, was imploring him and said, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented and Jesus responds one writer who had pretty good arguments it seemed to me stated that this should be translated as a question and asked am I to come and heal him now what difference does it make this man is a Jew he's a Gentile and Jesus may be, particularly if he is asking a question, calling attention to distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Do you remember when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius? And it took a lot of convincing to get Peter to go to the house of Cornelius. Remember that? He has this vision of a sheep being let down and a voice that speaks to him if he sees all these unclean animals. Why is Peter killing Eve? And And he says, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And God says, What I have cleansed, don't call common or unclean. That happened three times. Peter is wondering, What does all of this mean? And about that time, some people knocked at the door where he would stay, and they're saying, Cornelius, a centurion, by the way. Centurion always portrayed positively in the New Testament. A centurion is sent for you. And when Peter enters the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, verse 28, he says, you know how it is unlawful for me being a Jew to come into the house of the Gentile. You might wonder, where is the Old Testament... See, it doesn't specifically. It was a conclusion the Jewish people drew from the fact that Gentiles ate foods that they regarded as unclean and therefore we shouldn't go into their house and shouldn't associate with them in this regard. And Jesus puts that issue front and center right here when this centurion, this Roman military man, comes to him and says, I have a servant lying at home severely paralyzed. He says, am I to come and heal him? But don't judge that question as hard. Until you hear the end of the story. But how does the man respond? He says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Why would he say that? He had a lot more money than Jesus. He had a lot more social status than Jesus. But he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. He sees Jesus as a very holy man, it appears. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But he said, I am under authority. I have people over me. And yet I still have soldiers who listen to my words. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. Do this. And he does it. And I know you can just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. I am amazed at this man's humility. He doesn't respond to Jesus by saying, "Who do you Jews think you are, anyway?" He says, "I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof," and I'm amazed at his faith. You just say the word. And you'll be made well. Now let me ask you a question. Reflect on the Old Testament just a moment. Where do you find a miracle at a distance like this? Now there may be something that I'm forgetting right now, but I want to tell you. If you can think of one, please tell me, but, but it's rare... It's rare. Let me give you one illustration. You remember the story in 2 Kings 4 of the woman who was promised by Elisha a son and she is given a son even though she had been without a son for years. Then one day when the boy is young, he goes out into the field and he has a severe headache his father sends him home and the boy dies. And when the boy dies... She doesn't even tell her husband. She puts him on the prophet Elisha's bed. And she says to her husband, I have got to go to the man of God today. He said, why do you have to go today? It's not a Sabbath. It's not new moon. She said, I have got to go. And she goes to Elisha. Elisha sees her coming. And finally finds out what the problem is. He tells his servant Gehazi, I want you to go ahead first. And I want you, when you get there, to put myself on the child. But I'm going to be following close behind. And then he stretches himself out on the child. And the boy is raised from the dead after a prayer of God. God did that. But they involved touch. You see what I'm saying? find the equivalent of someone saying, I know you can just speak the word and my soul will be And Jesus marveled at this. He marveled at this. And he says, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. Now, what is behind me on the slide? Are instances you see that word marveled in the New Testament. Let's read a couple of instances right here and see if you see a difference between these cases and the case that we're talking about in Matthew 8, 5 through 13. In verse 27, the men were... This is after Jesus quiets the winds and waves. The men were amazed or marveled, same word, and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Matthew 9 verse 33 after the demon was cast out the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed or marveled saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Now the difference between that account and the one we're talking about in all these verses on the board, in every other instance where the gospel of Matthew uses this word, it is people marveling at Jesus. People amazed at Jesus. Usually it is because of the miracles that he does. Sometimes in Matthew 22, it is a response to his teaching. And in Matthew 27 and verse 14, it is a response to his signs. But for Pilate. But you see, people marvel at Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus. And may I say to you, that if you aren't amazed at Him, you're not thinking through this closely enough. If you're not standing in amazement of Him at this moment, You're not thinking carefully enough about it. People are amazed at Jesus, but here Jesus is amazed at this person's faith. And he said, Truly, I say to you, I have not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. Jesus marveled at the faith of this Gentile, this Roman centurion who believed he could just speak the word and his servant would be healed. And that leads Jesus to make a sweeping statement about the kingdom of heaven. In verse 11... He says that many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Coming from the east and the west is referred to in the Old Testament as God's people have been scattered among the nations in captivity and they will come back from all these nations to come back. Psalm 107 and verse... um, Three, so Isaiah 43, verses 5 and 6. You see that idea. God bringing His people back. But here the idea is expanded. Those from the east and west will not just be Jews scattered all over the world, but they will include people from every corner of the earth. They will come from all over the world and they will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now... This picture, the word recline is used in the New American Standard. I pointed out that the words at the table are not in the text. There is no specific reference to eating or drinking in this passage. But the general posture, the general posture of eating at a feast or a banquet was reclined. This is a banqueting scene. And this is a picture of salvation as being a great banquet where all the same eat in celebration of victory. Some of your greatest memories in life are probably around the table. As you think about times with close friends, on special times and good food. And that is a picture of salvation. And the New Testament alludes to it quite a few times. Maybe the clearest is that passage in Luke 13. That is on the powerfulness. Revelation nineteen does it well. But this was the Jewish interpretation. The Jewish interpretation. Was that all Jewish people would be present at the table. But Gentiles wouldn't be there. What he says is there are going to be people like this centurion. Coming from the far reaches of the globe. Sitting down at this feast. In the kingdom of heaven. And there are some. He doesn't say that all Jewish people will be lost. But he says the sons of the kingdom will be cast in outer darkness. Some of these who think they are assured a seat at the banquet. Will not be there. Now... Remember what I said just a moment ago. The Jewish people took these promises about a Messianic banquet as talking about a great victory that they would experience. I have one Old Testament passage on the board. There are other Old Testament passages that talk a little about this, not many. But let me read Isaiah 25, 6-8. And see if you recognize a weakness with that interpretation. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all people on this mountain. Who? All people. A banquet of A's wine. Choice pieces with marrow. Refined aged wine. And on this mountain He will swallow up the covering which is over there it is again. All peoples. Even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe away from all tears away from all and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This Old Testament passage itself talks about all peoples coming to the bank. <laughs> Membership in the people of God is not dependent on our ethnic background. It's not dependent on upon our racial ancestry. It's not dependent upon what nation we're from or what language we speak. Mm -hmm. Membership among the people of God is determined by faith in God. By faith in God. And when a Gentile expresses this faith, And Jesus marvels at his faith. This is the kind of person that will be at the table. This is the kind of person who joins in the celebration. And all people of all nations who exercise that kind of faith are welcome in this place. Whatever language, whatever racial background, Whatever ethnic background. But the key is faith. No one has their ticket punched because of their ancestry. And Jesus teaching comforted the afflicted. And it also afflicted the comforted. As he said, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping, gnashing teeth. These are horrible portrayals. Now again, he is not stating all Gentiles will be saved and all Jews lost. And Romans will argue strongly against that idea. The promises of God are still open to all the Jewish people who would exercise this faith. But when Jesus makes this statement, he tells the man, Go, and it will be done for you, as you say. At that very moment, he found the servant was healed. Oh, the power of Jesus. He can just speak the word. And a servant can be healed. And in verses 14 and 15, when He comes to the house of Peter, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, a high fever according to Luke 4, Jesus just touches her and she's made so instantly well that she's able to wait on everyone. Well, the news of Jesus is getting around in so large crowds in verse 16. Bring their demon possessed and bring their sick to Jesus. And Jesus heals them with a word and notice in verse 12 or verse 16, he healed all who were ill. I meant a statement I meant to make earlier in connection with verses two and three. There is no record. Think about this. There's no record in the New Testament of someone coming to Jesus for healing and being turned away. And in verse 16, he healed all who were ill. And this fulfills Old Testament prophecy, that he took our infirmities and bore our sickness, a quote from Isaiah 53. We've been stressing, being God's people is a matter of faith. It's not a matter of skin color. It's not a matter of of nationality. It's not a matter of native language. It is a matter of faith. And isn't it amazing how faith sometimes can be found in the strangest of places and how unbelief can be found in the strangest of places. But all these miracles show us the power of Jesus. And they show us the compassion of Jesus. I stated that half of the miracles of Jesus Recorded in the Gospel of Matthew are in these two chapters. Matthew 8 and 9. And you notice the statement that rounds this off. In Matthew 9 verse 36, the Bible says, "...seeing the people, He felt compassion for them, for they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd." He looks at the people with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. The leper comes to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing, Jesus says. These miracles show his compassion. These miracles show his authority. As the military man recognized, listen, he says, I know what it is. To give commands, and I can give commands to this servant, and he does this, and to another, and he does that. I know you have that kind of authority. You can't just speak the word. My servant will be healed. And the one who spoke the worlds into existence with a word. In Genesis 1. Now, speaks a word and the servant is healed. Notice in verse 16, the Bible tells us he cast out the spirits with a word. You know why you need to read the Bible constantly? Because this word is powerful. He could speak a word. And servants would be healed. Leprosy, raising, curing leprosy, or healing leprosy is difficult as raising the dead. And a leper comes to him, conscious that Jesus can't heal anything. A Gentile centurion comes and. I have a servant lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented, and I know you can just speak the word and he will be healed. And he is healed. Peter and Andrew as well. Jesus comes to their house; it's their house, according to Mark one in verse twenty-nine. But here in Matthew, he comes to Peter's house, and there's his mother-in-law. And Jesus can just touch her, and the fever disappears. And all the people could bring their sick, and He could heal them. What does this tell us? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Did you notice that in verse 2, when the leper came to Jesus, he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In verse 6, the centurion said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed. In verse 9, he says, Lord, I am not worthy that you come under my feet they see His authority. They see His compassion. They see His ability to do wonders. And you know what all of that should lead us to do death To totally surrender to Him as Lord. To follow one. To follow one. Who can cleanse leopards with a touch. Who can cast out demons and diseases with a word. He should lead us to totally submit to Him. And what He has, we will do. No one came to Him looking for healing. And was turned away. If we come to Him as Lord and surrender our lives to Him and walk in His way, He will not turn us away. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, how awesome, how majestic, how mighty and glorious You are. And we see but a small portion of that glory as we study this day. We see it in your son who cleansed the lepers, who healed the sick. There is no one else who can do what you do. There is no other one to whom we should give our allegiance. You are our God. You are our King. Help us to surrender ourselves to your will and do what's pleasing in your sight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. In giving the invitation, let me say one word about verse 17. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The debate has gone on among some sincere people from a Pentecostal background asking if Isaiah 53 and verse if that atonement Jesus brings means physical healing you know what answer I would give to that? yes it does but don't get me wrong it's not in this life some people may be ill and may recover others may not but there will be a day when being saved by Jesus Will mean complete physical healing. If you doubt that, listen to these words. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or cry or pain. The first things have passed away. That's not to promise you that every sickness will be healed in this world, every disease will be removed, all difficulties will be taken out of the way. It is to say, ultimately, that is the reward. No pain, no crying, no tears. I say that to say this. God is asking much of us. When He says, submit to me as Lord. Call me as Lord. Do what I say. He asked much. But His promises. His promises are greater. His promises are greater than His demands. His blessings are greater than anything involved in our following Him. I hope seeing who He is leads you to want to follow Him Lord. this Jesus who said, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you need to do that today, come as we stand and sing.